My name is Tony Hodge. Welcome to Conversations About Mining and Society. So welcome to my conversation with Professor Daniel Franks. You have recently traveled from one side of the world to the other, leaving a position with the United Nations in Brussels that for many, many people would be a wonderful position to have. And you've turned up here at the Sustainable Minerals Institute. Why? <laughs> what, do you, what do you see in what you're doing uh, here yeah. that has motivated you? Uh, well, thanks for the question, Tony. It's a good place to start. Uh, the obvious question, why? Why I'm back at SMI. So I started my career at SMI, so it feels like a home to me. Um, started life as a geologist, then moved into sort of the social sciences and, and you know, deeply caring about the sustainability of minerals. And um, so I got my kind of base, my education about the mineral sector here at, at SMI. Um, and then we had the International Mining for Development Centre uh, here at UQ uh, with the University of Western Australia funded by the Australian government, which is a huge capacity building program um, with, you know, I think 65 governments. So that was also a big education for me. So I kind of really got caught the bug of uh, international development in the mining context. And I'd been sort of working with the United Nations for a little while on different projects. And they said, why don't you come and do something similar to IM40C with us? Uh, so it was an EU-funded program. I was there for three and a half years. Uh, capacity building with 40 governments of Africa, the Caribbean, and the Pacific. Uh, we were focused on a particular part of the mining industry that is very neglected. Uh, we came to call it development minerals. But essentially, we went, meant minerals and materials that are mined, processed, and used locally and domestically, and most of those end up being construction materials and industrial minerals. Um, so it's something that not many people focus on, but we were working with a whole host of governments to, governments to capacity build around that as part of the African Caribbean Pacific group of states funded by the European Union. So amazing job. We had 20,000 people were impacted by our capacity building. I think around 10,000 people directly involved in training. Um, I, we got to host the, uh, um, international conference on artisanal and small-scale mining, just an idea that we had that, you know, this area has been neglected for a while. So we got to achieve some big things, but um, always going to the UN for me was about making my scholarly work really grounded in impact, what it means to actually do things in a practical context. Uh, so I had the choice, staying on for another four years would have been great, um, but I wanted to come back and write about what I'd learned. I wanted to come back and contribute to the knowledge base um, and SMI is the right place to do so that. So let me bring you back to the more typically thought about mining industry and the aspiration that they can have impact in development that is a, as a positive force. Um, we talk about that. How real is that in your view? This is a really complex question. I think one that the industry has been grappling with as well. Um, you know, a few years ago, some CEOs were starting to talk about the mining industry as a development sector and as agents of development. So even kind of using the language of development rather than saying that they're development relevant. I think that mining sector, large scale mining sector is development relevant, um, but it struggles to have the capabilities in it um, to act in a way that can maximize that development. I think that typically the mining sector thinks of itself um, as doing development when it's doing 
um, kind of sponsorship donations, kind of outreach programs. I don't think corporate social responsibility is the thing that's going to lead to development. Um, the, the second thing that mining companies have been doing is stuff around um, fiscal impacts, seeing as though that the major um, macroeconomic benefits of a large-scale mining project are going to be taxes and royalties uh, and foreign investment. Um, I think that that's meaningful, but the extent to which a corporation can influence the decisions of government around those things that, that are rightly at the sovereignty of those governments is a bit limited. Um, you can work on the governance context around that definitely, and you can do lots of capacity building around that, um, but they're still limited. I think the areas where it does, where it can have major impact, at least the large scale mining of metals, um, is in the core um, features of the project and maximizing the development impact of those. So that's around infrastructure. If you're gonna have a rail line, what are the uses of that rail line beyond the mining context? Is there a way that it can be integrated into new industries, agriculture sector, et cetera? There's been a little bit of work around that, you know, dual use and kind of infrastructure corridors and those kind of things. Um, but uh, the, the kind of final area where I think that it can have a really big impact is just being part of the development planning process. You know, there's, there's in many countries in the world, uh, United Nations Development Program and other actors are involved in national development plans of, of governments. And the large-scale mining sector is peripheral to those plans in a lot of cases, and it needn't be. It can be really integrated. And that's where you could also integrate to the other parts of the mining sector that you can have real meaningful connections. So for example, the construction sector or the industrial mineral sector that might be domestically focused, but those kind of integration can be really important. So the the organization that <clears throat> I worked with for seven years pioneered the, the work of mining partnerships for development. You know, it was very much consistent, very consistent with what you just said. Um, but an, a criticism that comes up is that the areas in the world where this is working is areas where there is strong governance. The areas where it's failing is where governance is weak. You're the leader of the governance and leadership cross-cutting theme at the Sustainable Minerals Institute. Where's, where can you make the biggest difference? I guess my first answer to that question is that we're gonna talk about the relationship between minerals and development. We can't forget the commodities that are most linked to local development, and those are you know, development minerals, the, the construction materials, industrial minerals, to some extent, the semi-precious stones that are mined locally for local use, for roads, for houses, for local manufacturing, etc., for disaster reconstruction. And all of those commodities uh, have domestic supply chains, and they're totally informal at the moment and lack any form of governance from the quarry site level all the way up to to uh, the, the processing of those commodities. So that needs to be part of the, the answer to that question. If we're, just, if we're gonna talk about the large scale mining sector, my view is like you just said, that a mine becomes part of the governance ecosystem in which it is placed. So it's, it has to operate in that context. Now, for many years, people have been saying that in the mining sector, uh, that environmental and social um, regulation is sometimes burdensome and that governments should be adopting legislation and policy that removes restrictions on companies so that they can have, uh, be an investment, uh, attract, uh, be an att attractive environment for investment. Um, my view is that actually a lot of those environmental and social 
policies and legislation uh, can reduce the business risk in many contexts because it it provides a, a, a playing field in which environmental and social issues have better outcomes um, and therefore aren't leading to the conflict and other issues that can be uh, um, difficult for companies in the operations phase to 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 you know to um, run an operation that is low risk. So I actually think some research in the area of the relationship between investment risk and environmental and social outcomes and governance context would probably give you a, a, a good strong argument for having a foundation for good social environmental policy and legislation in many different jurisdictions. So if you can focus on that governance context, you'll actually probably get better business outcomes uh, in, in opposite to what some uh, in the sector have been arguing. So how do you square that with the legislated requirement and the rules of the business acts, if you whatever they're called, for the primary focus of the leadership of the mining companies to provide for protection for the investment of their shareholders. Pure and simple. I guess what I'm that's saying is that their, they're linked. That's their their focus. Yeah, they're, they're totally linked. I mean, if if you view the um, the goal of the business is to have a successful project, and um, then if you're trying to implement a project. Uh, that is trying to lead to development outcomes from the core aspects of the project, then they should be part of the business case, right? Uh, and the, the environmental and social performance of the project is as much a driver of uh, capital and value as the technical performance of the project. And I think that some, you know, there's many people in the sector that understand those links, but finding the, the voice inside a company for the community relations um, manager uh, or at the site level, the superintendent, to be able to argue that case during business decision-making, during you know, uh, um, discussions about um, uh, investment and um, NPV calculations and all that kind of stuff is difficult, right? So, so that's, this that, is very interesting because now you've, you've opened up another area. How in the governance aspect of your work are you going to get into the cultural subtleties of governance, which in many cases are driving decisions way more than the written rule. I think that's why this program is governance and leadership, because both are really interlinked, right? My thinking is that um, the, the big step changes in sustainability, they need a governance response. Even if they're technical changes, even if they're environmental or safety changes, it's it, the, the kind of the way in which those changes will be implemented is either through leadership or it's through governance. Today, what do you see as the most significant impediment to that constructive change within the industry? I think the most significant impediment is that in our minds, when we as a society talk about mining, we have a very narrow view of the, what the mining industry actually is. In our mind, we think of mining as either gold panning by artisanal and small-scale miners, uh, or we think of big, large, capitally intensive projects that are run by very well-capacitated multinational companies. You know, that's what we think about, whereas that is only a minority of the mining sector. Um, the mining sector is much, much more diverse. If we think about the mining of minerals and materials that are kind of embedded in every part of our life. So that's a big impediment to change is that we can't think broadly about who the actors are and what 
the actual sector is that we want to focus on if we want to bring about that change. Um, to, to give you an example, you know, we produce each year um, uh, more sand and gravel, um, so 10 million Olympic sized swimming pools of sand and gravel, um, which is a huge amount, right? Um, than any other kind of commodity that we might mine uh, or any other commodity we might use as humans. And yet we don't really engage in the production of sand uh, as a part of our of mineral sector reform around sustainability. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm aware of those numbers. And it won't surprise you that I, fu I fundamentally agree with what you're saying in terms of understanding the, the breadth of the whole industry. I, I want to close this conversation with a final question. Maybe this is not fair. Listening to you and in this conversation, you've painted some pretty grand challenges. Addressing them is pretty far from trivial. What are you going to focus on as the first step? I think that all of the challenges that I've laid out need to be collaboratively tackled. I think the industry is ripe for looking at how far we've really come from MMSD and whether an MMSD plus 20 is needed. So MMSD is Mining Minerals and Sustainable Development, a large international program that was mounted between 2000 and 2002 by the mining industry faced with tremendous criticism from civil society and others. That's right, and Tony, you played an important role in MMSD in North America by leading that part of the dialogue, because it was essentially a big global dialogue, right? Um, originally, it was viewed by civil society a bit cautiously, um, and rightly so, um, but in fact, a lot of the same people that were cautious or critical about MMSD from civil society came to view it as a very legitimate and actually a meaningful process. It wouldn't be the same thing again, but I think what we need to do is take stock of what has worked and what hasn't. We need to think about uh, the areas where change has been possible, the areas that change hasn't, what is needed where change hasn't. We need to think about the um, performance of different parts of the sector where some have made some big change and a lot of the sector really hasn't. You know, what is stopping the, the rest of the sector from engaging in the sustainability debate? We need to bring on board governments in a more meaningful way. Last time it was less meaningful than it, than it needs to be. Um, I think that sustainability is the right language for that. Other people don't um, believe that maybe the, the language of sustainability is holding it back. It needs to be more embedded in terms of business language. I know there's a debate to be had there. Um, and it needs to involve artisanal small-scale mining and, this, and the development minerals part of the sector that's been totally neglected. Um, if we think about all of that in the context of what are the minerals, materials that we need for delivering on the sustainable development goals, um, then we can come away from the idea that it's just about metals, come away from the idea that it's just about the large-scale mining sector and think of as a society, what do we need the metals for? What do we need the minerals for, construction materials for? How are we gonna best lead to development outcomes from that? All sounds very grand, I know, but you get big things uh, when you partner with the right people, passionate people, change makers, and that's the approach that we'll take to this program. Daniel Franks, thank you very, very much. Your yeah. inspired words. <laughs> thank, thank you, you very much. Cheers.